Before we get started, I just want to clarify that this report was produced by GuidePost and not GuideStone. Sorry for any confusion. Welcome to the Thriving in Ministry podcast. This is the place to have authentic conversations with pastors and church leaders who want to create margin, avoid burnout, and lead effectively in ministry. The Thriving in Ministry podcast is brought to you by DailyPastor.com and Talenton Church Services. So let's join the conversation with your co-hosts, Kyle Willis and Dace Clifton. On today's episode of the Thriving in Ministry podcast, we're going to reflect on the current challenges facing the church in specifically the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm Kyle Willis, founder of Talenton Church Services, and as always, Dace Clifton, a pastor within the Southern Baptist Convention, is with us. Dace, um, we don't usually talk about your your tribe and your affiliations, but you are an SBC pastor. Yes, uh, I could echo what Spurgeon said. You know, when I was born, I was Baptist born, bred, and dead. I think something along those lines. And so, yeah, I've been, I've grown up in the SBC tribe, and. Um, and came to know Christ through uh, the ministry of an SBC church. And so it's definitely my tribe. Yep. So yeah, we've got to own that for sure. And it's been a challenging times. There's no doubt about that. These are unusual, unprecedented times within the SBC. If you're not a SBCer, you can see nationally that there are huge challenges Foot. Yeah, Dason, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Convention as well, uh, spent even part of my adult life within uh, side the SBC, currently do not uh, go to a SBC church and, and not because uh, I'm deconstructing or have fallen away. But uh, man, we found a great church home uh, here in Tulsa that we absolutely love. And um, I am going to have that. That's just kind of like a preamble, I think, to today's discussion. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's a little bit serious. And in particular, we're talking about the the scandal. You know, so Houston Chronicle published something back in the beginning of 2019 uh, within the SBC highlighting um, predators that that then went to the national convention, the SVC convention, uh, in 2021, the summer. Uh, out of that came a resolution, a motion to basically investigate or, or set up this sexual abuse task force to identify areas of, of weaknesses or cover up within the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Church. So uh, if you are outside of the SBC, the way this kind of works is um, the Southern Baptist Convention is a collection of churches that comes together once a year. Yep. There's different leadership that supports throughout the year. And so you may be familiar with LifeWay uh, that produces kind of curriculum. Um, but the executive committee handles some of these other things, in particular, putting on this convention. Uh, and so they don't direct issues within the church, but they do kind of hold it all together as a as a glue. So they're not a governing body, but um, they kind of act like it, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly they, they correct. Said I cover SBC polity really quick. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, the churches are independent. It's not like a Catholic church or some other networks. The churches are completely autonomous. They appoint their own pastors. They're responsible to implement their own policies. However, what unites them is the fact that they cooperate voluntarily by sending money to um, to the Southern Baptist Convention, the cooperative program, and those funds are used for various initiatives, one of them being one of the largest, if not the largest, evangelical mission-sending agency in the world, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention International Mission Board, uh, and several other things. So that's kind of how it works. 
Yeah. And so you have the ERLC and, and other things that are a part of these different entities, the, the seminaries that are funded and, and kind of housed within the SBC. So yep. uh, that just kind of gives you a picture of, of that structure there. Uh, Dace, in particular, the uh, what has come out of the um, task force and, and kind of this report that was done by Guidestone uh, over the last several weeks while we took some time off. Um, was really some some small things, but also many, many, many other things that were uh, really large. Um, and, and some of it was public knowledge in terms of um, the number of people with within SBC pastorate or volunteers that were identifying as abusers. Um, uh, there was a, a great, really, uh, really important focus on those who had been abused and kind of hearing their story. Yeah. And then there were a couple bombshells, uh, you know, so Johnny Hunt um, and, and some allegations that were made there yep. uh, have, have been really um, disheartening to many as they looked up to him. Yep. Uh, but then also this uh, idea that um, the, the executive committee was keeping uh, a, a database of predators and not so much that they were keeping it, but then that they were withholding it or, or not distributing it. Um, and, and so I think that's kind of um, the, the main issue. And, and we're talking about this today, not only because we've had some time off and this is really the first time for us to talk about this, uh, but it also is the week of the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim. And so by the time we push this out, some of this may be old news uh, or happening in real time, but um, next week in June uh, is when the SBC uh, is meeting. So I guess that's this week when it records. Um, Days, hey, so that's a, a quick background here, but um, in in light of these developments and these reports, I want to ask your immediate response. You know, the, the first time you saw it, maybe you put it down for a few days, picked it back up. Um, gave yourself a chance to breathe. But as a, a pastor in particular within the SBC, what was your reaction? Man, I was sh- shocked, grieved, and surprised. Uh, uh, growing up in the SBC and serving in SBC church, the expectation is, is that leaders, all church leaders, you know, are, are required to operate in uh, beyond reproach, there can't be anything really that can be called into question. And particularly when we're talking about the leaders of leaders, how high the standard is and to see the things that were going on behind the scenes uh, was so yeah. disheartening. And I think about the short term implication and this uh, doesn't go with just sexual abuse cover up. Um, but I think the initial reaction um, is that a lot of times when we make a mistake, and you can call this sin, uh, yeah. our initial reaction is to create another issue. I mean, I was having this conversation with my my daughter last night where I said, hey, I don't know, where's your phone, right? Or when was the last time you were on it? And she was like, well, I, huh, huh? Yeah. She just looked at me and I was like, what do you mean? Huh? Like, you, you know, and then as I keep asking, okay, we're, what were you, you know, looking at or whatever? It was just one of those things where, you know, she, she said something incorrectly. She didn't say, yes, I was on my phone. She said, huh? Because she knew whatever I, I was going to get there. Right. And I think that's what we see with this uh, task force and with this report 
is, is sin, uh, cover up bad decisions, uh, begatting, uh, breeding, procreating uh, other bad decisions. And so yeah. uh, in particular, in the leadership within the executive committee and other SBC leaders, uh, bad things happened. Sin happened. Yeah. Uh, but there was a, an after sin, right, uh, that that happened with lack of communication, follow up, things like that. And and Dace, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit about uh, David, right? Well, totally. And when I think about this panning back to the 30,000 foot level, there's a word that comes to mind and it's transparency. And if we operate in the light, we don't have to worry about darkness. You know, you think about if we could wind the clock back on the years that we cannot, you know, what is the answer? Well, it's transparency. It's to deal with issues as they come up and deal with them in the light, you know, as much as absolutely possible. You know, when you operate in the light, you know, you don't have to worry about the darkness. And, uh, but when we try to make justifications, when we try to manipulate circumstances and situations, um, I'll call, you know, if there is a gray area, that gray area then becomes an area in which people can be hurt and devastating things can happen as a result. It can just grow. And so transparency, that's where it's got to be. Jason. So I agree. I think um, now when we look back, um, people within the SBC, but even outside other churches, pastors, you know, we can all second guess and we, we should take a critical eye at what has happened so that we can prevent it again. Yeah. Um, and so now is probably a time to lament, pray, um, realize and recognize, call out evil, right? Even in ourselves, uh, even when it's not this particular sin. Yep. Um, I, I think that's really important. I think there's a, a way to care yep. about this as well from a pastoral perspective. Yep. Well, absolutely. You know, if there's any lesson to be learned out of all this for the local pastor and local ministry leaders is, is once again, operate in the light, transparency, all of those things are so critical. But it is, as you said, a time to lament, a time to pray, and a time for realizing that, uh, yeah, we have we serve a high God, and there is a very high standard. And so, and Kyle, I know this story impacted you in a particular way that probably is unique to you. And so, Kyle, would you be willing to share just a little bit about how this impacted you in a way that's unique? Yeah. So I think um, I don't like being the guy necessarily that is up here uh, being a pessimist. I would uh, rather have lighthearted conversations and joke with you. And I'll just say on the outset of this that... You know, you and I have talked confidentially about some of this, and yeah. and I just don't want you uh, to get drug into this. So if someone randomly stumbles upon uh, this portion or this podcast, understand that uh, Dace, as a friend, uh, has helped me kind of process some of this, but but not as a, a pastor, right? As a, as a church member, as someone within the SBC, mm. I, I think I'm going to um, drop a little bit of a, a bombshell here. Um, yeah. And it has nothing to do uh, with either one of us or with people that we're close to that I know of. Yeah. This isn't a, a coming to Jesus or a reconciliation, but it is part of my story. So I'm going to give the ending uh, before I go through uh, this story. Uh, the ending is that I don't think we've been critical enough of the SBC. Um, even with this 300 page report and the recommendations that are coming out of it, as I work with churches, I think there is a much more pervasive problem 
Uh, and it is uh, not unique, but it is uh, worse than the average within uh, SBC churches. And people have been trying to, to call this out. Uh, not only the abusers, um, but other people have tried to highlight uh, this problem and offer solutions. And, and I, I've been one of those. Uh, and so I'll give the, the quick background here. In 2019, Talenton was, was still relatively early on. Um, and, and my mission really from, from day one has been to aid church leaders in, in their administration, operations, um, so that they can have margin for ministry, so they can go make disciples. But I, the, the impetus from this for, for Talenton was just this seeing this need that is out there for pastors to man, execute uh, on, on a world-class level. And so part of my research early on uh, was figuring out some of these problems um, and possible solutions to the church as a whole, and in particular with like organizational and administrative challenges. So in 2019, I talked to uh, Wade Burleson. Uh, I was interviewing pastors each and every day, uh, just saying, hey, what are you working on? I had a list of five questions, but um, Wade just happened to be someone that I had some familiarity with, and, and he's here in Oklahoma, and so he was kind enough to talk to me one day, um, and he challenged me. He said, listen, uh, the SBC needs a, a list of database, a database of predators, and he had been calling for this for many, many years, very public. He said, hey, Kyle, will you do this? And I said, oh, interesting. Um, that's an actual problem, right? That there's a an opportunity, a business opportunity that's going to come out of that, that meets an actual need so that um, the reputation of churches is not damaged, so that their ministry is uh, is in line and aboard, on board. And so it, it is a compliance problem. So I spent a couple months um, looking at this. And, and to this date, days, I will tell you that I've have what I believe is to be the largest uh, database privately held um, outside wow. of, of government records um, of abusers within the church. Um, and it, it's not just SBC, it's all all different churches, right? Um, but that list, and Dace, last time I looked at it, it was over 5,000. Um, and, and so for the SBC, wow. right, I think the number is 700 uh, or so that they've, they've had. I think so. Um, yeah, correct. Yeah, and and so this list is is somewhere between five and seven thousand. So it also includes, you know, the spotlight uh, on on Catholic priests and people, uh, pastors, church leaders, volunteers, even outside of the SBC. But I can tell you, within the SBC, uh, the list is not seven hundred. I mean, I would put it probably three times that amount. So Kyle, let me just for the sake of our listening audience, just for point of clarification here. Um, the way that you collected this data is through open source channels, correct? I mean, this is not, you're not a, yeah. you don't have a good deal with the CIA guy, or, right. you know, some group, right. you're not, you're not a private eye. This is open source. So you've done the, correct. your company has done the sweat equity, the hard work of, of collecting this, but because it's open source, it's not secret information, correct? Co correct. I mean, this is all stuff that, and even in our list, maybe some that were not, uh, charged, but took plea deals. Um, you know, maybe they were at this church and then moved to this church and this church. And so, uh, maybe when they were actually arrested, they weren't within the SBC convention or at the Southern Baptist convention, but they, they had a history, right? Where when you look backwards it had it had been in their, yeah. um, you know, professional life. And so, uh, I would say that that list is much larger, uh, than 700. I know for a fact it is. Wow. So they 
let me let me focus in on this real quick. And, and this is actually the the bomb. There, there's an opportunity. One of one of the greatest benefits that churches have that they do not realize they have is their data. Okay. Um, we know that, you know, you can buy data, I guess, in, in like a black market or overseas. And, and there's things that are valuable there. Think of marketing lists and on some level, a, a church's financial data has some real value to people that are, um, even not just looking for, for evil, but also, um, real s- solutions. I mean, people would like to know how much a church spends on X, Y, and Z. And so, uh, all that to say, the data actually provides some of this answer. And when we looked at the data, yeah, it told um, several stories. Uh, one thing that I learned about um, these predators is that they typically move from a larger church to a smaller church and then to a rural church. Um, and it's pretty obvious when you look at the data, when you actually study some of these cases, uh, time and time again, they are outrunning their accusations. And so their first or second accusation may be at a church that has policies and procedures. Um, and they say, hey, we don't want our reputation to be tarnished here. Mm. So you need to go find another job. And they move, you know, an hour away, two hours away. Wow. And say, hey, he had a different calling at this church. Um, and then something happens again a few years later. And they move to a place that is a, you know, a hundred person church that yeah. uh, doesn't do background checks, that um, doesn't know their history in another state. Yeah. And so that data actually tells a story. But, but the interesting thing is when we, if, if we were to take that database knowledge and, and match it to the church's data, we actually see something really interesting. And so we did this. We took um, a church or a random church, frankly, and said, Hey, give us your people data. So go into planning center, go into fellowship one, whatever you got. Um, for, for this experiment, we just want names, addresses, mm. and uh, let us run it through the database. Very first time we did this, boom, we got a hit. Mm. And it turns out that someone in their membership database, and maybe they weren't a member, maybe they had just visited yep. and I actually know some of the story because of what happened afterwards. But the very first time we were able to run it through this database and find out that three weeks, six weeks earlier, uh, a gentleman had been arrested 20 miles over as a youth pastor Mm. on allegations that he abused uh, a girl at his youth group. Wow. Multiple girls actually in the youth group. Wow. And they had no clue. The church had no clue that he had stepped foot in their door. Wow, that's scary. Right. And, and so that's actually like when we look at the data, and this is why it's a little bit of a bombshell, because this was not in the, um, the, the task force report. There's a real solution then that comes out of this. And there, you know, we can look at credibly accused. We can do trainings. We can do all this sort of stuff. I mean, there's actually some, some really good stuff. But the frustrating thing to me, Dace, the thing why I'm, you talked me off a ledge <laughs> is that the frustrating thing for me is that we had this solution. Like we could prove now, like this actually works uh, and the collection of churches could run their stuff through this database and, and prove yeah. that, Hey, we had a wolf in our fence. Um, then make reasonable recommendations, things to, to fix that, address that issue. Yeah. And so we took this, this, uh, and I'm going to pause right here. Do you have any questions about that before I look forward uh, after that initial, let's call it 12 months or so? The only thing that uh, just is fascinating to me is how you outlined the, what the data showed related to the movement of people that are accused of these from large church to smaller church to rural church and your connection 
and noting that sometimes smaller and rural churches are not going to be as prepared to deal with this stuff as larger churches are basically just creates a situation that is, um, I mean, red flags are just going up everywhere. And, 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 so it's it's fascinating to me that you've made that connection and it I mean it's and not only is it fascinating I mean it's extremely concerning and so it just highlights the need or the the importance of smaller churches rural churches of every church being on point in this area yeah. and so just I appreciate you pointing that out yeah, and, and no church is immune. Um, even even when you put stuff in, um, right processes, whatever in place. I mean, uh, we we cannot outlaw evil. Okay, uh, we can we, we can write it into the law, but we can't yeah. take every opportunity for evil out there uh, out, out of the world. Yeah. Here, here's the here's the frustrating thing to me, Dace, is that I went and raised. Uh, I was trying to um, talent on to go raise funding for this, and so you think of. Um, I would call, I called it compliance software. Um, but basically it, and it wasn't just on this. There were, there were other aspects, but the, the abuse prevention was part of this. And so it would have had a curriculum, uh, component. It would have had a certification component, a reporting, uh, you know, component on top of the database and then some requirements for the church. Um, we tried to go raise money. I went to a venture capital uh, firm here in Oklahoma and they basically said, uh, I think it's a great idea, but good luck. You're going to get sued. And I went, Hmm. I reached out to, uh, the ERLC and their general counsel, their, their top lawyer and said, Hey, I've got some technology. I learned some stuff. Um, you want to, you want to talk? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, let's talk on this date on that date. Uh, for the phone call, nothing came and went followed up. Hey, could we talk? Got no response. And so for me, part of my story is that um, it, it was a missed opportunity. And so I take some of this personally to be like, I should have stuck with it and I should have pushed harder and followed up more. Mm. Uh, but at that time, it looked like I have a possible solution yeah. that no one cares about, mm. that um, those who have been hurt and the SBC, um, they don't care about uh, people who are willing to to fund it, who have the means to get this off the ground and build it out, right, and grow it. Yeah. Uh, they don't really care. So I looked back and I was just like, "What am I doing? Yeah. Like th- this is not this is not something that I'm going to be able to get off the ground." And so I tabled it. And so I'm really frustrated, one in myself that mm. uh, that happened, but um, I share this not to uh, bash the the church, the capital C church or in particular person or entity. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying the solutions out there, if, if we yeah. try hard enough, you know, we can reduce this a lot. And I yeah. look at it as a fire. Mm. Um, you know, you cannot prevent days, uh, a fire at your house from happening. Yeah. But what you could do is not leave a pile of towels on top of your stove for one of your kids to walk by and turn the gas on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And go, I didn't even know. I didn't even know we were going to have a fire. And and that seems kind of what happened here is is those who are saying there's not a problem. uh, It turns out that they were just, uh, (laughs) you know, they were they were just ripe with opportunity. And so 
Um, all that to say, Dace, that's part of my story. And, and I, I think the lamenting part is good, especially for pastors now. I think yeah. we then look forward and say, okay, well, how are we going to, how are we going to get out of this? And how are we going to, and I say get out of it. I don't, I don't mean avoid it, but I say, how are we going to address it uh, so that this doesn't happen again? Well, and I think my shock my secondary shock when the report came out was I knew that you had made strides to try to accomplish some of the things that are in the recommendation section of that report. And I didn't know all the details. I didn't know. I didn't know honestly who all you'd contacted. I just knew that this was a passion of yours. I knew the church is a passion of yours. I knew you love, you know, the SBC cooperation and, and those types of things. And that's why you're passionate about this stuff. And that's why it cuts so deep. You know, when you saw before all of this happened, there is a better way that we could do this. And obviously the things that we're talking about are voluntary, right? You know, because of the way that the SBC is structured, you know, as independent churches, you know, we cooperate with one another. Yeah. And so, you know, my heart went out to you just as a, as a friend. I mean, we're personal friends. And, and so I could see how grieved you were. And I could understand that to some degree, just because when I saw the report, I said, oh my goodness, what they're recommending, you know, Talenton already had worked uh, in that direction. And, and it wasn't to the point to where it was, you know, carried through the way that, that you had hoped it had been. And so secondary, just switching gears as a pastor Here's what I think about um, when I think about all of these issues, when I think about the responsibility of churches, the responsibility of leaders, uh, I think about there is, is a popular thing to bash churches and this and that. And, and, and the enemy, the spiritual enemy of the church, Satan is real and he's powerful and he's looking for opportunities to exploit. For sure and damage ministries and damage churches and hurt people on a micro level, on the individual level, and then on the corporate level. What I think about all that, I go back to what we spoke of earlier. There's got to be transparency there. We have to take care. You know, there's a lot of skill involved in flying an aircraft, and there are a lot of minute adjustments and things that need to be made, because if you don't do the proper thing, you have a catastrophic crash and burn. And so it is with us. So it is in leading ministries, leading a ministry, being involved in a ministry as a volunteer, as a pastor, as a leader, as a, as a responsible church member. I mean, that's a high calling there. I'm, I mean, you're, you're, you're following Jesus in a local corporate body. We are, we're called to a high standard. I'm thinking about Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter five, all of these exhortations because Christ is our King because he died for us and he calls us to new life, how we must live in a way that is frankly beyond reproach. And so this has always been the calling and this story of what's happened in recent days just highlights that in a profound way. So if I look at it, Dace, and we're talking to pastors and church leaders, I think the immediate steps are to uh, grieve and, and to uh, look inward and say, where have I failed? Where do I come short? And it may be um, something in your past. Uh, it could be something that you have knowledge of with, with uh, staff members or something that happened in your church. Mm. Um, as a quick disclaimer, if you are a pastor, uh, you are probably a mandatory reporter. Yeah. Uh, look into your local laws, but um, you probably have a legal obligation and 
you don't want to mess this up. So seek no. help, uh, bring it to light. But uh, what I was going to say is the long term, it may be that your response is um, one to challenge the status quo is to partner with organizations um, that are, are doing some work here. Maybe it's ministry safe. You need to talk to Greg Love and, and get um, their processes brought up and, and going in your church. Um, I know pastors, church leaders, you got a lot of stuff going on and we're rolling into the summertime. Um, I think you can care well uh, to steal that from um, the Caring Well Conference and, and what the SBC did. You can care well, you can love, mm. you can protect, uh, you can do all those things. And so pastors, church leaders, hey, we want you to know that uh, your ministry matters to be encouraged to press on. Yeah. Um, and, and so as we are talking, uh, days kind of wrap us, wrap us up, uh, bring us home here. Well, you bet. And just as I think about all of these things, I just reflect on the life of David. And I think about particularly his sin with Bathsheba and how that must have been a tremendous disappointment to those that were closest to him. To see this man who was so blessed by God and such a champion and such a warrior take such catastrophic and devastating steps to see such a fall. And that sin came with lifelong consequences that were unchangeable. And yet that was not the end for David, this man after God's own heart who sought God. And so, you know, God was still on the throne David could still repent and experience the transforming presence of God in his life. Well, as always, we hope that you've um, taken something away from this uh, episode of the Thriving in Ministry podcast. Uh, if somehow you found this podcast and uh, you have questions, feel free to reach out. Um, you can email me, Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at Talenton Services, T-A-L-A-N-T-O-N Services.com. You can call me on my cell phone, 405-343-8700. Uh, or if you have questions about the show, you want to send us encouragement, you can always like, leave a review, email us at thedailypastor at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for being with us this week. Uh, press on, create margin, thrive in ministry. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Thriving in Ministry podcast. We want you to stay in the fight and thrive in ministry.